Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is May 15th. This is the Common Sense Party Podcast. Let's get it started. This is Dwayne Otley. This is a common sense podcast trying to give you some common sense. Just another day in paradise. As I said before, Dwayne Otley. Independent thinker. Let's get this started. This is episode three. You can't tell me that they scared shitless in the deep south. Uh, We're going to start first with Ted Cruz, who I think is the most unscrupulous I would say unscrupulous individual in in the Senate and he is trying to say that the for the people act is not for the people give this a listen is the most radical legislation the Senate has considered in the nine years I've been here and it is the most dangerous legislation pending before the United States Congress. You know, I listened to the speeches this morning. I listened to Senator Schumer's speech where he recounted this country's shameful history of Jim Crow laws. And he's right. Jim Crow laws were bigoted, racist, and disenfranchised millions of people. And it is worth remembering that those Jim Crow laws were drafted by Democrats. They were implemented by Democrats and they kept Democrats in power. Now today's talking point repeated in the media is that was the Democrats of yesterday, not today. Well, today the Democrats are doing it again. This legislation, to use a phrase that has been popularized on the media recently, is Jim Crow 2.0. This legislation would disenfranchise millions of Americans. Many of us are referring to this legislation as the Corrupt Politicians Act because it would do, Senator Schumer talked about 
politicians picking their constituents. That's what this legislation does. This legislation is designed to ensure that Democrats never lose another election. This legislation would register millions of illegal aliens to vote. It is intended to do that. It is intended to do that because Democrats have made the decision that millions of illegal aliens voting are likely to vote for Democrats. This would register vast numbers of criminals and felons to vote because Democrats have made the decisions that criminals and felons are likely to vote for Democrats. This legislation strikes down virtually every voter integrity law adopted at the state level. Voter ID laws. Over 70% of Americans support voter ID laws. By the way, over 60% of African Americans in this country support voter ID laws. 29 states have voter ID laws on the books. What does this legislation do? Strikes them all down. Says it's illegal for any state to have a voter ID law. There is just... All right. Let's go to the bullshit that they're talking about. Number one, yes. History does show that Democrats, way, way back in Reconstruction, yeah, they were the ones who started the Jim Crow, all those those bad laws, but they atoned for it. Uh, yeah, because two sides flip-flopped. Right now, who's oppressing the vote? Republicans. Who's trying to get people to vote? Democrats. And... There's one thing he said he was right. That was right. That, yes, Americans do want voter ID laws. Yes, but the bill does not, and I repeat, does not, does not strike down voter ID laws. It just says that if you don't have an ID, you you can have enough time to get your ID to vote. Just like what the, there's 36, uh, one in Georgia where if you are in the wrong precinct, you can't, you can't get a, provisional ballot you wait in line for like four hours and you can't go back and you can't get out go to another precinct on the day of voting where it's another long line then you didn't vote it's, that's what they call that's what they call voter suppression and he also said one thing they're doing is that they're charging poor people for IDs and that's called a poll tax poll pa- a poll tax back in the day was when people of color didn't have any money and before you could vote you could uh, you, before you can vote you had to pay pay to vote and that's just crazy uh let's listen further to the clip and it's explained more a special level of shamelessness you need to have to claim that hr1 or s1 the for the people act is Jim Crow 2.0. To claim that voting rights legislation specifically, specifically intended to protect the rights of voters and expand access to voting and secure our electoral process somehow does the complete opposite is an almost impressive kind of gaslighting. But don't you worry, because if anyone can manage to reach that level of shamelessness, it's Ted Cruz. Now, what Republicans like Ted Cruz are banking on here is that people don't know exactly what's in the For the People Act. And so their goal now is to fill that vacuum with disinformation. They want to basically win the messaging war and redefine the bill to prevent it from passing. Kind of like how Republicans seized on the messaging vacuum surrounding the Affordable Care Act's passing. And remember how all we heard was how there would be death panels deciding whether you lived or died? 
That's what Republicans will do if given the opportunity to define legislation that is popular and helpful, which is exactly what the ACA was in 2009 and what the For the People Act is now. They don't have any governing abilities beyond demonizing good legislation. Yep, that's just insane and everything they they try to do they're trying to will it away where we can't vote yes we as in the people the people can't vote I don't understand why it's so hard for them to understand that we want to vote Let's continue for With that said, because our job is to push back against people like Ted Cruz who will lie right to your face about what's in this bill, here's what the For the People Act does. It would end gerrymandering, arguably the most important provision, wherein not all but mostly Republican-led states have drawn their own district lines to decide the outcomes of elections before they even happen, allowing politicians to choose the voters as opposed to the other way around. It would prohibit purging voters from the rolls, an issue we're seeing across the country, including today in Arizona. It would require candidates for president and vice president to disclose 10 years of tax returns. It would modernize voter registration by expanding automatic voter registration nationwide, an expansion from the 18 states that currently allow it. Instead of an opt-in system, it switches to an opt-out system. It would enhance voting access by requiring all states to offer at least 15 days of early, in-person voting and vote by mail. It would also restore voting rights to former felons and call for stronger voting rights for Native Americans and residents of Washington, D.C. It would secure our voting systems by ensuring every state follows the most secure practices and uses the most up-to-date voting equipment. It requires states to use voter-verified paper ballots. If there's an issue with the ballot, states would have to notify voters of the mistake and give them plenty of time to cure their ballots. It would take steps to stop dark money donations by requiring campaigns to disclose donors who contribute more than $10,000 because you should know who's trying to influence your vote and why. It would reward candidates who reject big dollar contributions by matching donations from everyday Americans six to one, meaning that a $10 donation would turn into a $60 donation, all funded by settlements paid by tax cheats. It would increase oversight of existing laws by bolstering the FEC. It would crack down on lobbying and reduce lobbyist influence on politicians. So if you could point me to the part where this is Jim Crow 2.0, where this somehow restricts voting or makes it more difficult to cast a ballot, please, by all means, feel free to point that out to me. Now, of course, Cruz falls back on the tenuous Republican talking point that Jim Crow laws were originally passed by Democrats. And he's technically right that Jim Crow laws were embraced by Democrats, but what he's misleading about is who those Democrats were. During the late 1800s, Southerners who opposed big government were Democrats, Northerners who sought expansions to federal power and passed laws granting protections for black Americans and advanced social justice were Republicans. The parties ultimately flipped by the time FDR was elected as a Democrat and passed the New Deal, which formed the basis of the parties as we know them today. But the point is that it was always the same conservatives, generally centered in the South, who've opposed voting rights, and the same liberals, generally censored in the North, who fought for them. It doesn't matter whether they're called Democrats or Republicans or Libertarians or Martians, a label is just a label. But Ted Cruz is just taking a desperate stab at trying to absolve his party, which, so that we're clear, is composed of the same conservatives who supported Jim Crow, regardless of what party affiliation they answer to. Cruz goes on to tell some outright bald-faced lies, like saying that this bill will give undocumented immigrants the right to vote. 
That is unequivocally untrue. Nothing in this bill does that. PolitiFacts also fact-checked this claim and also found it outright false. The For the People Act would keep in place federal and state criminal laws that prohibit non-citizens from registering to vote or voting. And in fact, non-citizens who do try to vote could face jail time, deportation, or fines. But then again, are you really surprised that Cruz fear-mongers about what else than immigrants? Because what would a Republican be if not trying to scare you using brown people? Cruz lies again by claiming that the For the People Act strikes down voter ID laws. Again, a bald-faced lie. The bill doesn't strike down or ban voter ID laws. All it does is offer a workaround for those who don't have ID. Which, by the way, is a good thing because forcing people to purchase ID to be able to vote is called a poll tax. The For the People Act simply offers people the option, if you don't have ID, to present a sworn, written statement to an election official under penalty of perjury that states the voter is eligible to vote. If someone's willing to go to prison if they're found to be lying, I'm pretty sure we can trust that they can cast their ballot while their identities are verified. Cruz says that the bill would register criminals and felons, making it sound like Democrats are lining up in front of the prison cells of rapists and murderers. In reality, hysterics aside, the For the People Act restores voting rights to former felons, meaning those who've done their time and are reintegrated into society. The whole point of doing your time is that once you're done doing it, you're done. If you're not in prison forever, you shouldn't be treated like you're in prison forever. And if Ted Cruz thinks that you should never get to live down your worst moments, then I'm sure he wouldn't be opposed to relitigating his impromptu trip to Cancun while his own constituents were freezing to death every single day, right? Finally... Uh, that was Brian Taylor Cohen from the Brian Taylor Podcast. Uh, just reiterating that Republicans are slimy. Yeah, I don't understand why they're so desperate for power that they're going to hold on to it, try to keep it from immigrants, black people, and go back to what it was in the 1960s and we were right back after this message and we're back to coincide with the voting rights bill Arizona Governor Ducey signs a new new law that will purge infrequent male voters from the list Arizona will periodically remove infrequent male voters Vote by mail voters from the state ballot list after Republican Doug Ducey signed legislation passed Tuesday despite protests from Democrats and advocates who say the law is discriminatory and will make voting harder. Like, I don't understand that they're still trying to win an election by changing or moving the goalposts. They don't introduce legislation that's good for the people, just making it just shrinking the voting pool to a minority vote and that's not going to work I don't understand why and moving on in other news South Carolina lifts mass mandate for schools banned vaccine passports South Carolina Governor Henry McAllister issued an executive order banning vaccine passport and preventing schools and local governments from creating mass mandates I don't believe the vaccine, I mean, the the illness is true. So, again, people in the South, they want to kill their population to shrink it into minorities. And I don't understand that the people allow this to happen. It is just crazy. 
Uh, I live in the South, so I don't understand it either. Uh, moving on to the state of California, who has a, a ref referendum. Okay, but Gavin Newsom did this. California governor proposes twelve billion dollar to house states homeless. Okay, he's doing this by a large budget surplus and swimming in federal pandemic recovery money. California Governor Gavin Newsom Tuesday proposed a $12 billion to get more people experienced homelessness off the street into homes of their own. Newsom's proposal includes $8.75 billion over two years to create an estimated 46,000 housing units, expanding on the program he launched last year to convert motels and other properties into housing. Nearly half of the money will go towards housing in places where people in the mental health and other behavioral issues can get services on site. I think it's a bold move. He's trying to save his job, I guess, but I like that where they're giving the, those people who are on the streets that they have a place to stay. Because if you get a place to stay, you can get help and get help and get on your feet. Everybody needs help. doesn't matter. And we do have a so-called contract to help the person that... Who helps us and I was like it's not really hard to help the homeless like there are sometimes you're you might be homeless and uh, you never know all right moving on to guess what Liz Cheney Liz Cheney ousted from leadership ruled over Trump criticism so as I stated in 2017 the Republican Party do not know how to handle a bully. And in this story, Trump reacts to Cheney's ousting and calls her a horrible human being. You've got to be kidding me. Really? You've got to be kidding me. His complete statement is, Liz Cheney is a bitter, horrible human being. I watched her yesterday and realized how bad she is for the Republican Party. Liz has no personality and anything good. We have to do with the politics of our country. Yes, that's how it's said. That's how it's written. That's, uh, that's his statement. That's not me reading. She is a talking point for Democrats, whether it means the border, the gas lines, inflation, or destroying our economy, which we have a good economy. I don't know why. She is a warmonger whose family stupidly Pushed us into a never-ending war in the Middle East disaster, draining our wealth, and depleting our great military. The worst decision in country's history. I'm looking forward for her to be watching her on paid contributor CNN or MSDNC. What the hell is wrong with that dude? I don't understand. The GOP asked Jenny for her vote to impeach Trump after the January 6th Capitol riot and continued criticism. The one thing I don't get is, excuse me, she told the truth. They can't handle the truth and they're big babies. Let's listen to a clip. But for the people of Wyoming Brett, who are right. electing a congressperson to fight for them and to fight against the Biden agenda, why wouldn't they say, 
is this the person that's going to get it done? Uh, uh, because, that's what well, your colleagues are asking. I'm going to answer the question. Uh, we all have an obligation, and I would say Fox News especially, especially Fox News, has a particular obligation to make sure people know the election wasn't stolen. Fox News, Fox times. News, Brad, I'm going to answer your question. Fox News needs to make no, sure that the American people, they need to make sure that the American people, Brett, you're doing the interview, I'm answering the questions. We need to make sure that the American people recognize and understand that the election wasn't stolen, that we shouldn't perpetuate the big lie, and that there's real danger. You know, I've worked in countries around the world where we don't have peaceful transitions of power. And, and all of us who are elected officials have got to uh, make sure that we obey and abide by the oath that we swore to the Constitution. I understand. And that the peaceful transition of power is key to that. Now, if you want to, if you're asking me about my constituents, my constituents believe firmly in the rule of law. They believe firmly in the Constitution. They know that we do not swear allegiance to any individual. I should just say that if you... Yep, she is giving it to Fox News, and Fox News is giving it back, trying to save themselves because they're being sued. But, uh, again, I just don't understand why these people are so hell-bent on making her the fall woman of the truth she told the truth how she saw it trump was responsible and that's that and i really don't understand why these people don't realize that trump is a liar like i don't understand did we not teach how to teach people how to actually know what a liar is? Uh, I really don't think so that we taught kids how to beat up a bully. Back in the day, the community took care of the community. And the Republican Party is being bullied right now. And I don't understand why they can't see what it is. Okay. We're going to get sidetracked for one second. We're going to do a little, little two-parter. I saw this on MSNBC Mitchell Uh It's about Trump and the post office. So check us out and we'll be right back up on the side of my bookshelf ever since. Jay Mayer dropped this. He says, quote, Trump has already demonstrated a willingness to engage in almost unthinkable tactics to protect himself. Among his social circle in Palm Beach, speculation abounds that Florida's Republican governor, Ron DeSantis, might not honor an extradition request from New York if a bench warrant were issued for Trump's arrest. The state's attorney for Palm Beach County tells the New Yorker that he doubts such defiance would stand. Extradition, he points out, is a constitutional duty, and a governor's role in it is merely ministerial. But he admits that the process might not go smoothly. You know what, he says? I thought January 6th would go smoothly. Congress's role was just ministerial then, too. Governor DeSantis did not respond to a request for comment. So, this was eight weeks ago. 
Jane Mayer just dropping into this already newsy profile of the New York State prosecutors that are pursuing criminal charges against former President Trump, just dropping in the middle there that if Trump is indicted by those New York State prosecutors and there's a warrant out for his arrest in New York State, maybe the Republican governor of Florida would, what, like hide Trump? Shield him from extradition like he's an international hijacker hiding out in Tehran or something? Are you kidding me? Are you really kidding me that the governor of Florida will willingly aid and abed a criminal according to the law? A person in power, one of the states. I don't understand how is this possible. Really, I don't. So you're telling me that the governor in Florida can assist Trump if he's indicted. Just say we're not going to turn him over. What kind of nonsense is this? And then, just something to think about. DeSantos is probably going to run for president. And that's just really horrible. That's a horrible, horrible, horrible idea. Okay, the next story is about our postal service. Another thing that was attacked during the end, uh, the most of Trump's presidency, because he knew that mail-in ballots was going to be the the downfall. So uh, I just want you to check this out. Listen to Rachel Matter one more time curse of this time that we've just been through in history that you don't exactly have to squint to see the criming right it's all caps out loud everything with an exclamation point most of the nouns misspelled nothing subtle but of all of the scandal upon scandal upon scandal and the um people close to the president going to prison right and the horrifying irresponsibility of the way that governance was handled and the malevolence and the failure and the mismanagement of, of all that that we have just been through over these past few, past few years it does still boggle the mind that one of the things we had to rally to as a nation one of the things we had to rally as a nation to defend from what they were trying to do to it was the post office but who on earth has it out for the post office really I mean, like, as government agencies go, it's like kittens, you know? <laughs> Seriously, you're after the mail? You're after letter carriers? Your friendly little white jeeps, meet me. How you doing, Mrs. Davis? I got your mail here. Yes, they came for the post office. Heading into the 2020 election, as President Trump started seeding the idea with his supporters that the election would be illegitimate unless he won, he attacked states that were expanding voting by mail because of the coronavirus pandemic. Because, you know, presumably that would mean too many people voting. He warned that Republicans would never win an, another election. But with all the voting by mail that was going to happen, he then started this public crusade of attacking the post office like it was some sort of inherently scandalous thing rather than something that we've had in our country since literally the Constitution. The post office founding, the founding language for the post office is in the U.S. Constitution. He railed against the post office like it had been something invented by Obama. He proposed massive cuts to the post office's budget just ahead of the election. He put in charge of the post office. He made post postmaster general a man who had tens of millions of dollars invested 
in a postal service contractor. A man who had spent his career before his appointment building up his fortune by running companies that contracted with and competed with the post office. Immediately after taking control at the post office, Trump's new postmaster general instituted new policies that instantly led to huge backlogs in the mail, cutting the number of trips that mail carriers were allowed to take, forbidding them from taking any extra trips to move mail even when mail was late. Communities around the country started freaking out when they started unbolting our traditional blue mailboxes from sidewalks and street corners, putting them on flatbed trucks and taking them away to Lord knows where. What are you doing with the mailboxes? Louis DeJoy, as Trump's postmaster general, ordered big, expensive, in some cases, irreplaceable sorting machines that handle millions of pieces of mail very quickly. He ordered those sorting machines removed and destroyed, stripped and left outside for dead. The Louis DeJoy ordered backlogs in the mail were so bad that the news wasn't just about the, the decline that you could see in the numbers in terms of on-time delivery of regular mail and first-class mail. It was also like horror story stuff. Warehouses of late mail becoming basically hazmat sites. Food that had been shipped was rotting in these huge piles of undelivered boxes as the mail stacked up and up and up. Even livestock, animals shipped overnight, ending up dead in transit while the mail backlog built up and up and up and the packages and the envelopes just stacked up in postal service facilities around the country with Louis DeJoy forbidding the postal service to do what they needed to do to deliver them. Yeah, man, he he was a plague on, well, is still a plague on us right now because he's still in office. Now Biden's there, but you got to, Senate is going to have to get some people in there to get him out. And continued. What is perhaps the most amazing thing about this story, though, even above and beyond the fact that Americans had to rally to try to defend the post office in the middle of everything else we were facing as a country last year? Really? The most amazing thing about this whole story, honestly, looking back at it today, is that the dude's still there. He's still there. He's still running it. Even after the country lost its mind, including businesses who were really hurt by their shipping and other mailing getting all screwed up, even after the country lost its mind over DeJoy's deliberate sabotage at the post office, his deliberate slowdown and bottlenecking of all the mail and the packages, even after the conflicts of interest he had were exposed, with him maintaining tens of millions of dollars of active investment money in a company doing business with the agency he was then running. He held on to those investments for months after he was running that agency. Even after the Washington Post exposed him as the new Spiro Agnew, <laughs> literally using that same dumb trick where you make the employees handle the cash, right, through their own bank accounts and you cover it up with bonus payments to them and hey, nobody will notice. Even after we learned that that's apparently how he laundered the gazillions of dollars he paid to Republican politicians and how those donations were in fact how he got himself appointed by Trump to run the post office and to run it into the ground. Even after all of that, right now, as we sit here tonight, dude is still there. The dude is still running the post office. He is still postmaster general, even after all that. Yep, he is still there running the post office. But he will he will get out. But we got to fix the postal service. We just have to. This is one of these things that we got to do. It's, it's important. It's, it's been around for what, three, four hundred 
400 years maybe oh it might even that not even 100 i don't think because it was around in the 1800s pony express that's a fundamental right and it's in the constitution the republicans love the constitution they love the constitution yeah they do they just love throwing the constitution where something that was created in 1876 or whatever 200 and something years ago that really doesn't apply to today but it is what it is and for our final story today uh, it's about stadiums stadium subsidies yes we're talking stadium subsidies why do sports teams require public money to build a stadium? As of right now, Oakland, which is the Oakland A's, is threatening to move if they don't get $860 million. That was the reason the Raiders moved to Las Vegas, because they didn't get any money. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, why do teams require public money to build a stadium? Uh, a stadium subsidy is a type of government subsidy given to professional sports franchises to help fran finance the construction or renovation of sports venues. Haha, Central Stadium. Stadium subsidies can come from tax-free municipal bonds, cash payments, long-term tax exemptions, infrastructure improvements, and other cost subsidies. Funding for the stadium subsidies can come from all levels of government and remains controversial among legislators and citizens. When surveyed, 86% of economists favored eliminating, yes, eliminating public support for professional sports franchises. They're billionaires. They make billions of dollars off of TV money the gate and they still can't pay for their stadium how are they how are the stadiums funded public financing of u.s professional sports stadium has been common practice since the mid 1980s yes 1980s that long time ago ronald reagan era with taxpayers shutting out an average of 400 million to build or renovate each of these projects from 1990 to 2010 alone Cities have created 84 new arenas at a total cost of 34 billion, yes, that's being with a B, of which 20 billion with a B came from taxpayers in the form of federal tax exempt public bonds and tax credits. And even the wealthiest teams in the most expensive media markets have received substantial public subsidies. This is all lobbyist people. This is lobbyist. When the New York Yankees opened their new 2.5 billion with a B ballparks in two, 2009, almost 1.7 billion was the funding came from the public. The Dallas Cowboys AT&T Stadium first billion dollar arena explicitly built for football enjoyed 440 million in public subsidies 
in Miami's 650 million of Marlins Park. Yes, I used to live in Florida before that was finished. Opened in 2012, will end up costing taxpayers more than two billion over the lifetime of the bonds Miami-Dade County officials used to prop up a private construction deal. Yeah, they fleece, they fleece their asses. They fleece their asses quick in Miami-Dade. The shake loose these enormous sums of enormous sums from the elected city and state officials, privately owned sports franchises, often threatened to guess what, people move. That's right, move, bitch, get out the way. Teams say to cities, in, the, in essence, give me a hundred million dollars, or we will take away our status as a major league city says baseball writer and historian Bill James. He calls the practice a classic textbook abuse of monopoly power. Yeah, man. They threaten to leave. Like a abusive girlfriend. Yeah, I'll leave you and nobody wants you. I can go off to the next one. Grass is always greener. But guess what? Happens all the time. When did this practice start? Except for shovel stands built as a part of the Olympic Games bids, the first publicly funded professional stadium was Milwaukee's County Stadium, which in 1953 enticed the Boston Braves to relocate to Wisconsin. But the game changer for public sea financing stadiums was the Baltimore Colts swinging. No stunning 1984 move to Indianapolis after the Baltimore City officials refused to pay for renovations on Memorial Stadium, the Colts' home field. Sports teams owner now had the Colts' example for using in blackmailing cities. And by 1992, taxpayer funds had played a part of in subsidizing 77% of U.S. professional sports stadiums. Stark reality in that cities and their leadership are mainly complicit in stadium boon dodges, says urban theorist Richard Florida. Look, man, for some reason they think having a stadium is the thing to do. It's a tourist attraction. Yeah, they can make money from... Getting teams in over the summer, blase blase, but tend to differ. The community benefit? Almost exclusively no. Studies consistently find no discernible positive relationship between sports facilities, construction, and local economic development. Income growth or job creation, said Brookings Institution Senior Fellow Ted Geyer, co-author of the detailed analysis of this issue. The promised influx of jobs mostly account of temporary construction work and low-paid part-time positions for stadium vendors and ushers. People of color, the biggest myth, say economists, is that stadiums generate new revenue for cities by luring people to spend money in and around the ballparks. And some evidence is true of minor league teams in small towns. Still, research shows that big cities, a.k.a. Atlanta, New York, L.A., consumers who spend money on sporting events would likely spend the money on other forms of entertainment, said Scott Weller, a senior specialist at the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. 
fans who spend $150 at ball games, in other words, are spending money they've otherwise shelled out for movies, restaurant shows, and concerts. And women! So there's no net increase in dollars spent in the community or other sales tax collected. And in some cases, communities have not had to... Sorry. Communities have had to cut other spending to finance stadiums. Yep. They cut police, fire, parks, all those things, summer programs. Alright. For example, Oakland cut its police force by 18% in 2011 part to help pay the dip from building the Coliseum there by increasing the average police response time and emergency calls to 17 minutes. In 2014, the struggling city of Detroit cut pensions for retirees by 4.5% at the same time it subsidized a new stadium for the Red Wings. Such sacrifices don't guarantee loyalty from teams which remain privately held businesses whose billionaire owners usually put their interests first despite their generous public services. Yep, they don't look out for the people. No way they look out for the people. With Oakland soon to follow, St. Louis and San Diego have empty football stadiums that remain saddled with a combined 220 million, yes, 220, 220 million in public debt where are the former teams? They're gone. In fabulous new stadiums that other cities were willing to help finance the lower move. Yeah, man, they just they just took off. Straight took off. The question is, have some taxpayers rebelled? Yes, in a few cities. Voters in St. Louis last year rejected funding a new MS, MLS soccer stadium in Seattle group call citizens against sports stadium subsidies is demanding a referendum on the King County Council decision to spend 135 million to move the Mariner Stadium in Sitco Field but public officials remain proactive in offering great deals to the greatest teams. MLS I don't think that that won't fly because the country is not really soccer based. A uh, few things are more appealing to politicians than a photograph wearing a hard hat. Yeah, that motherfuckers like a hard hat. You are holding a shovel at the ceremonial groundbreaking of a major stadium for fans' favorite teams, and they suck them in. They really suck them in with that photo op. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dorfman, a economist at the University of Georgia, warns fans and other taxpayers against being fooled by images support your local sports scenes but never support public financing of sports stadiums or says you as a taxpayer are virtually guaranteed to lose that game yep all right here's the big finale the braves yes my team the braves they are part of this story at a 200, 2016 meeting with shareholders in the Atlanta Braves parent company, Liberty Media CEO John said the Braves are now are a fairly major real estate business instead of just a baseball club. That's putting it mildly. 
the Braves replaced their barely two decades old home stadium turning field in 2017 with SunTrust Park. $722 million stadium in Cobb County. Yes, they moved it away from the niggas in downtown downtown Atlanta. That's why they moved. They did it in the dark of the night. Sorry, not niggas, ninjas, people of color. The stadium in Cobb County suburbs built with nearly 400 million public funds. So significant was the public investment in the corporately owned baseball stadium that the county commissioners were forced to raise taxes to fund a depleted $40 million bond delegated for building and maintaining public parks. Yes, they took money from public parks to put it in SunTrust and True Stadium. So, if your kids need to go to the park, take them to the stadium. The Braves also had their spring training facilities and three minor league stadiums financed by tens of millions of dollars in subsidies from small cities throughout the deep south according to bloomberg business week the braves extracted about half a billion jesus christ half a billion in public support for their stadiums if there's one thing the braves know how to do said Drexel university economist joel mancy it's how to get money from taxpayers yeah they did they fucking fleeced us man they fleeced us I love the Braves, but that's way, that's, that's way, 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 that's way, <coughs> excuse me, messed up that they took the money from, one, took the stadium from the colored people in the ninjas in the city, because the suburbs, they didn't want to be around black people when they came to the games, and that's just a straight messed up. All right, for our next story. We're talking about Ohio. Ohio is having a vaccine lottery. You say a vaccine? Yes, a vaccine lottery. Who is eligible for to win this $1 million, you say, Bob? With 42% of Ohioans who have received at least one dose of the vaccination and a number of the first shots given have declined by 80%. Since the peak of 485, 80-60 doses that given during the first week of April, Ohio is facing a serious question. How to get people vaccinated? Guess what? Guess what Mike Devine did? He outlined a plan to tonight as he offers five one-minute prizes to adults who have been vaccinated and five full-ride scholarships to state, state schools for teens who get vaccinated. This in addition to plans to drop the state's health orders on June 2nd. So, dude said, if you take the shot, I'll give you a million dollars. But, I don't know how how it'll work. Devine, DeWine acknowledged that not everyone would be a fan of his idea. Of course not. You're taking money and giving it to randos. But, I hope they get, I hope they get the vaccine out. If that's the way to get it out, go ahead and do that. And I think, I think it's a kind of a good idea. Uh, moving on. Our next story is Matt Gates. On Thursday, an Ohio federal court scheduled a change of plea hearing 
in Goolsburg case for Monday, an indication that he has reached a deal after reportedly working with the federal authorities last year. If you don't know who Greenberg is, he's the dude who was with Matt Gates. Greenberg, who has previously pled not guilty, currently faces 33 counts, a 33 count indictment on many crimes since his initial arrest last June. The accusation has explained from stalking, adaptive to include charges of stealing from tax office he once led in Florida and sex trafficking of a minor, uh, a 17 girl who claimed in a confession letter has been paying to sex to have him a number of associates. So guess what? You know what that means? Uh, for Representative Matt Gates, your daddy can't get you out of this one. So guess what? He's going to jail. 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 And for our last story, our last story is about Tennessee lawmakers. Tennessee lawmakers have passed a bill that would withhold funding from schools teaching about systemic racism and white privilege. Yes, they're moving the goddamn goalposts again and not teaching the history. HB 0580 and SB 0623 officially cleared the General Assembly Wednesday, one of the several to pass on the day lawmakers adjourn for the year. This bill centers around restricting what concepts on institutional racism can be taught in schools and attracted some of the most vigorous debates. You can be you can raise the rates all you want if you don't have the majority. Uh, most of the majority white caucus, yes, I said white, W-H-I-T-E-G-O-P caucuses in the House and Senate supported the effort. Black Democrats, Democratic lawmakers warned the bill would more would make more schools fearful of teaching about the U.S. history. And they said they don't understand. It's the history. It's not wrong to teach about it. You learn from history. Quote, critical race theory is rooted in critical theory which argues that social problems are created and influenced by societal structures and critical assumptions said state senator katrina robinson a black democrat from memphis quote how ironic that a body made up of a simple majority of privileged white men yes i said white w-h-i-t-e men can determine whether my grandchildren can see affections of themselves in history at the lessons they learn their school last minute addition of the critical race theory bill would ban schools from teaching students that the rule of law does not exist but instead it's a series of power relationships and struggles among racial and other groups which is straight bullshit but like again i said if you don't learn from your history, you'll be doomed to repeat it. Alright, this is your boy. This is a Common Sense Podcast. We are trying to do this every week. Please rate, review us, subscribe, resubscribe, give us a, a note, send us an email. 
at Google Podcast. You know what to do. See you next week.